Hi, Pastor John here. I just want to thank you for downloading or streaming this service from North Carolina Baptist Church. We pray that it encourages, challenges, and excites you in your walk with Christ as you prayerfully consider ways to impact your community for Christ. A couple things I want to say before we get into our video today. I just want to say that we're praying for you that you know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. And if you do not know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you've not made that decision for yourself, you can, right there where you are, you can pray and confess your sins to Christ, repenting and turning from them, asking for forgiveness from Him by receiving the gospel, by receiving His, His grace that He's offering to you in the free gift of salvation, by putting your faith and trust in Him. If you have any questions about that, we'd love to answer those for you. Please reach out to us and let us know. We also want to let you know that if you would like to support what God is doing here at NGBC, we invite you at any time to go on our website, northgoodland.org, or by downloading our church app by going to North Goodland BC in your app store and downloading that right there on your mobile device. You can give a gift of any size at any time, and we greatly, greatly appreciate all the gifts of generosity that go towards the ministry here, helping us to do what God has called us to do to reach this world for Christ. Now, we invite you to prepare your heart to lift up the name of Christ, to be stirred by his word, all for his glory alone. Well, welcome to our Sunday evening service. Thank you so much for uh, checking us out, and we do pray that you've had a blessed day today. Uh, we invite you to open your Bibles tonight to the book of Romans, chapter 10. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, and so uh, if you weren't able to watch the video last week, uh, I invite you to pause this video, to go watch that one, and then come on back. That way you'll be able to know where we were. Uh, and so Romans chapter 10, we're just going to read the first five verses in just a moment. Uh, I'll give a short review uh, after we read, and then we'll pick up with some new material uh, for this week. Uh, attached to this video, you will find an outline for the chapter. Uh, if you have missed any of the chapter outlines, please let us know. We'd love to send those to you, whether it be through email or whatnot, that you can have a copy for yourself to be able to study God's Word on your own, um, as we always want to encourage you to do that. We always want you to be students of God's Word and to get into God's Word to know what it actually says. And so Romans chapter 10. Uh, we're really just going to jump right in so we can get through some material tonight. Uh, and I'm going to start in verse 1. So I invite you to read along with me there where you are. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does them, of those things rather, does those things, shall live by them. And so let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll kind of review a little bit and get into some new stuff tonight. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for your grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness. We pray that you'd open up your word to us. Help us to be wise in the things of God so that we might make you known as we look for opportunities to make disciples. Father, we pray for those that are struggling right now, that are going through some tough times. I pray that you just minister to them, encourage them, support them, Lord, uh, provide for them what they need, and help them to reach out to those that are looking for ways to help them. Uh, Father, I pray that you would be glorified in all that is said and done tonight as we study your word. And I pray that you would, again, give us those opportunities to reach out of ourselves and to make a difference. Father, I pray that if there's anyone listening right now, Lord, that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray they would come to know you before uh, this video ends, before they uh, go to bed tonight. I pray that they would come to know you and trust in you as Savior. If 
Father, uh, asking for forgiveness of their sins, repenting, turning from their sins, and trusting in you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 10. Um, and as we said last week, uh, it picks up after chapter 9, which deals with uh, kind of an emphasis on the sovereignty of God. Chapter 10 deals more with maybe the human responsibility uh, in response to uh, the invitation of salvation. We see God is sovereign over that, but we also see humanity has a choice, has a responsibility that we carry to, to respond in faith to the gospel invitation. And that's really what Paul's heart is here in chapter 10, verse 1. He says, this is the cry of my heart. This is the desire of my heart that Israel, my nation, would come to know Christ, would be saved. Uh, everything he says in chapter 10 is not based in anger, animosity, bitterness. Uh, it's based in a love for the Israelites. It's based in a love for his people. And he's desiring that they would know Christ. And so right away we see the heart of Paul again takes us back to chapter 9 in his heart there. But we see again this desire. His desires, they would come to know Christ. And the problem is the Israelites didn't want to come to know Christ. They weren't interested in being saved. Now, obviously, when I say that, I'm speaking as uh, a broad term. Obviously, we know there was many Jews that came to know Christ and that continue to come to know Christ and are coming to know Christ today. Uh, the point I'm making as a nation, the nation of Israel, did not receive Christ as their Messiah. And so Paul is saying he's desiring that they would come to know Christ. But in verses 2 through 5, we see that there was a rejection of Christ by the Israelites. Uh, I love what, and it's in your notes, I love what Warren Worsby said in regards to this idea of, of the Jews not believing they needed to be saved. And that, yeah, the Gentiles need to be saved, but not us Jews. Worsby said this, and I love this, Israel would have been happy for political salvation from Rome, but she did not feel she needed spiritual salvation from her own sin. And so she had been fine with political salvation. Yeah, let's set us free from this Roman occupation, but we are fine. We don't need to be forgiven of our sin because we are the nation of Israel, because we're the line of Abraham. We're the promised seed. And the truth is, Paul's trying to get them to understand, listen, you need to know Christ. Uh, see, the rejection of Christ by Israel in verses 2 through 5, we see that he lays out some very powerful truths, that they desired their own righteousness, that they had a zeal, a passion for God, but it wasn't based in knowledge. They weren't submitting to the righteousness of God. They weren't coming under his mighty hand and saying, what do you say we have to do to be made righteous? They looked the part, but there was no personal relationship with God. It was all external. There was no inward heart change. And so we pick up in verse 4. I think I kind of left off on this at the end of last week's video. But verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. This statement flips the entire chapter. This statement flips the entire idea that we find in chapter 10 from the Jews struggling with this idea of receiving Christ, trying to do it in their own, trying to work their way to salvation, to Paul's statement in verse 4, which is so powerful. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Uh, the method of gaining righteousness in the law stopped when Christ fulfilled the law. The Moody Commentary says it well. Just as a finish line is both the goal and the end of a race, Jesus is the goal of the law inasmuch as it is anticipated and pointed toward him. And he is the end of the law since he brings its era of governing life to a close. 
We find that in the Moody Commentary, page 1762. And so, what, is, what are we saying here? What is Paul saying here? He's saying, listen, the way of receiving righteousness before God in the law has ceased. There is no way we find righteousness through the law, meaning I can't keep the commandments enough to be considered righteous by God because Christ, the only truly sinless righteous one, has come, lived his sinless life, fulfilled the law, and died on the cross and rose again. Therefore, the way at which I discover and am called righteous is not in the law. And again, this is... By the way, this is the entire book of Romans, right? Like, how are we justified? How are we made righteous? How are we made perfect, if you will, or sinless before God? What is it I have to do to be declared justified, to be declared righteous? Uh, we said early on in the book of Romans, the term justified is used often in the book of Romans. Uh, and justification in the book of Romans comes through faith, by grace, not through the law. And we said before, the word justified, many have said justified means just as if I never sinned. And that's fine, I understand that, that in Christ, God sees you as sinless, meaning he doesn't see your sin, he sees the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And doesn't mean we don't suffer consequences in this life for our sin choices. If I make a sin choice in this life, and I, I sow that seed of sin, I will reap a harvest, a consequence from that sin. However, that consequence is only temporary. It's only in this life that I reap that consequence. What I mean to say is, when I stand before him in Christ, fully forgiven and free, I will not face a consequence for my sin, because the Bible says the wages of sin, the payment for sin, all sin, any sin, is death. So if I'm in Christ, and I've been forgiven of my sin, washed new, redeemed, made into a new creature, then all my sin is washed away. I do not stand before Christ when I leave this world and answer for some of my sin. We either stand before Christ and we give an account and an answer for all of our sin or none of our sin. And if I give an account for all of my sin, if I'm without Christ and I die and I'm standing before God in my sin, then the only consequence that I will see is death, separation from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. However, if I'm in Christ and I stand before him, I am considered clean, cleansed, washed. I am renewed. I am redeemed. I will not answer for my sin because Christ has already paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. That being said, in this life, obviously, we strive as followers of Christ to live in a way that honors him, that pleases him. The beauty is, if I fall into sin, it's not a no big deal, because there's consequences, there's, there's negative things that come out of that, whether it's a secret sin that only I know about, whether it's a public sin. But when I fall into sin, there's things that will come out of that. But however, praise God, his grace forgives, and he can restore. Uh, many of you have noticed on Facebook, we're doing uh, this little game, it's, it's a Bible character kind of guess who, and so we're giving you some clues, and we're kind of letting you know, hey, here's three clues who is this person that we're trying to get you to guess? Uh, one of the, the guesses the other day was Aaron, the brother of Moses. And we mentioned that, that one of the things that, that was a clue was that he would have gotten a gold star 
Uh, actually, he would have gotten two A's and a gold star in sculpting, because many of you know uh, he was involved in the sculpting and the, and the forming of the golden calf, that the, the children of Israel worshipped this golden calf, and Aaron was involved. He was directly involved in encouraging the Israelites to do this thing while Moses is up the mountain receiving the very commands of God. And the very first one says, have no other gods before me. So when you see that story, what comes to your mind? You're thinking, man, Aaron, how did you blow it? Aaron, man, you're, you're, you've really blown it. You've, you're useless to God. You can't be used of God. You're supposed to be the first high priest. You're supposed to be the one that's the, the beginning of this line of priests with the tribe of Levi. Like, how is that even possible that God could use you again? But do you realize that God does restore him? That God shows grace to Aaron, that God forgives him of his sin and restores him and uses him as the first priest, the first high priest. And so in that, in that line anyway, and so when you see that, I want us to realize there's consequences for our sin. We must strive in a way that pleases him and live in a way that pleases him. But we never, ever, ever forget there is grace. There is grace. When we fall, we repent and we turn back to him. You see, the Israelites rejected Christ, but they needed to understand that the law was not going to bring them righteousness, that only Christ would bring them righteousness and the forgiveness of sins. They could put their faith and trust in Christ. They could repent and turn from their ways. To be clear, this idea of that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, that everything pointed to him, is throughout all of the Old Testament. Every sacrifice, every festival, every feast, every feast day, Jesus made clear that's all about me. And in the Old Testament, when individuals would put their faith and trust in God and follow the, the law, follow the religious ceremonies, understand the only reason those sacrifices were received back in the Old Testament was because Jesus Christ came and died and gave himself as the ultimate sacrifice. The only reason someone in the Old Testament was considered righteous by God was through faith and grace. It was the fact that Jesus Christ was going to be sacrificed and fulfill the law in the fullness of time that the Old Testament sacrifices were accepted. See, we now look back to the cross. We receive Christ directly. In the Old Testament, they looked towards the cross, put their faith and trust in the Word of God, and believed that if they did the things that God called them to do by putting their faith and trust in the Word of God, that they would be, if you will, saved and, and find themselves with God for all eternity. So Christ is the the fulfillment of the law. And those that were seeking righteousness did not find it in following the law. They found it in Christ. And then there's another statement here in verse 4, which is so powerful. To everyone that believes. To everyone that believes. Not just the Jew, but the Gentile. The group that was and is guilty before God way back in chapter 1 is now able to be made the very righteousness of God through Christ. It wasn't just hey, Christ did this for the Jews. No, he says in verse 4, to everyone who believes. So in verses 6 through 13, moving through the chapter, we see the offer of faith. Verse 6, let's, let's read this together. But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the depth, deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth in him 
will not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A powerful verse in verse 13. We've read it many, many times. You've used it maybe many times in sharing the gospel with others. And the beauty of that is what is expressed here is what we just talked about. In verse 4 and verse 13, for whoever believes, there's no boundaries. There's no meet this or meet that or do this or do that apart from believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he explains what does that look like, this offer of faith. What does this look like to saving faith? In this part of the passage, we see Paul quotes Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 through 14. Paul's point is that if the Jews believe they have kept the law perfectly, they have only done it outwardly and not inwardly of the heart, which is truly the whole point of Deuteronomy, the inner spiritual condition and not mere outward acts of obedience. Another example of this in the Old Testament, and I encourage you to read it for yourself, is Isaiah chapter 58, verses 3 through 6. And really we see what's happening here is the people are giving of these different things, they're doing these different outward acts, and they think they're fine. They think they're doing good. But God comes back and says, do you know what I really want to see? I want to see a, a changed heart. I want to see this go beyond just surface things. I want to see a difference in the inward man. See, it's the things of God, or things of the heart that God is most concerned with. In, in Isaiah 58, they are going through the motions, but, but they are not truly in their heart giving themselves over to the things of God. Paul expresses in verses 9 through 13 of Romans 10, the simple and welcoming invitation to salvation. Yes, we must repent and actually turn from our sin, but we turn from sin and to Christ. His grace is for whosoever. <clears throat> Some have claimed that Christianity is too restrictive, too inclusive, to make it so definitive that you have to do these things, you have to believe in Christ to be saved, that God should allow not just some who have put their faith and trust in Christ, but should allow all into heaven. If they've trusted Christ or not trusted Christ, it doesn't matter. That God should welcome all because, after all, God is love. I mean, after all, who is God to even tell us who can come to heaven and who can't? Who is God to tell us that we must come through Christ? I mean, who is God anyway? Well, the reality is, by the time you get to this point in the book of Romans, God has already well established our guilt before him the Gentiles, the Jews, and the world, that the law is insufficient in saving us and redeeming us and creating us and turning us into righteous individuals, that God is the potter and we are the clay, that God is the authority, that God will show grace, mercy, and forgiveness to whoever he chooses. And so that's already been well established through the whole book so far. So by the time we get to this point of how are we going to respond to that, our only response must be a response of faith to say, I am in my sin, I am deserving of wrath, I am deserving of judgment, and yet God has graciously invited me into a relationship with him that I cannot do it on my own. I cannot work hard enough, fulfill enough laws, be good enough, be moral enough. I can't do it. That's what the book has taught us so far, that we are left needing salvation. And all throughout the book, the first nine chapters have shown us hints of that and even declared to us in Romans 3 that this is the only way. Romans 4 and 5 outline that the Jews in Abraham were unable to find forgiveness, that Abraham himself was forgiven, not by what he did, but by the faith that he put forth in God. Some have claimed again that Christianity is too restrictive. Who is God anyway? Well, the truth is, it's his heaven. 
It's his heaven. It's his salvation. It's his grace. And as Ravi Zacharias says, and says it well, all truth by definition is restrictive. Who is God to tell us this is the way and this is the only way? Well, that's the truth. And the truth by definition is restrictive. Uh, truth is not fluid. Truth is not subjective or relative. Truth is truth. Uh, one plus one equals two, whether you emotionally agree with that or not. It's truth. And in the same sense, the word of God is truth. It doesn't just contain truth. It is truth. But even though we would say truth is restrictive, meaning there's really only one way. And by the way, if you have time this week and you want to look into it, John chapter 4, uh, Jesus with the woman at the well, he says that salvation is of the Jews, meaning coming out of the Jews. He himself was speaking of his own divinity and that he was the way of salvation. But when you think about the offer of salvation and what Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, you can do this. He says you can believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and you will be saved for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. See, the beauty is, while the truth in and of itself is restrictive, the offer, the invitation, couldn't be more open. The invitation to the world, the, the opening of salvation to the world, couldn't really be any more open to say, listen, if you believe, if you realize your sin and your guilt, and you confess the Lord Jesus Christ with your mouth, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you put your faith and trust in him, you will be saved. I mean, there's not much more of an open invitation in any other religion. When you look at all the major religions of the world, it's all about either works, and by the way, they all, of the five, four of the five, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, all are works-based. Christianity is the only one that is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But in all these other religions, it's all about you have to do these things to be saved. You have to pray this many times in a day. You have to do this pilgrimage. You have to keep this law. You have to say these prayers. You have to do these works. You have to pray and hope that karma just sooner or later comes around, comes around, comes around, and maybe one day you'll make it to nirvana or heaven in our understanding. You see, all these other religions that sound more welcoming, that sound more tolerant, are actually more restrictive in what you have to do to be saved in those religions. Only in Christianity is it literally man, woman, rich, poor, black, white, uh, certain cultures, certain people groups, backgrounds, languages. It doesn't matter. If you understand you're sinful, under the wrath of God, needing, deserving of judgment, needing salvation and grace, and you ask God for his grace, you, you in faith, cry out and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe in your heart that God raised from the dead and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ that you will be saved. I mean, is there a more open invitation than that? And so as we read this here, this, this offer of faith, I pray that you would go into your week this week and in conversations and opportunities that God has given you, that you will look for ways to share your faith, to give an answer for the hope that lies in you, to share with others with a heart of passion what it means to know Christ. And so maybe you would spend time this week looking for those opportunities. Or maybe you would spend time this week realizing the opportunities are already around you. And I know it's hard when we look around us and we see all these things closed and we're restricted and all that stuff. And what can we really do? We can't go out to you know, my neighbor's house and start witnessing them. I can't go door to door. I can't do this. I can't do that. How can you creatively share the gospel and share the truth of God's word in a, in a, in a world that is full of um, uncertainty, People are hopeless. People are scared and fearful. How can we speak truth into their lives and let them know that there is a God that loves them and cares for them and wants to see them come to know him so that he can bless them, not just with 
things in this world which may or may not come, but bless them with a peace and a joy that is beyond understanding. And so I pray that you will have a blessed week this week. I pray that you will be excited to know that God has opened his doors to you. The offer of salvation has been given to you. And if you've received it, I pray that you would go forth and make it known to others because it is truly, as we read all the way back at the birth of Christ, it is good news for all peoples. And so I encourage you to get in God's word this week. Spend time with him. If you need anything, please let us know. We'd love to minister to you any way we can. Uh, let's close in prayer and then we'll let you guys get out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for tonight, and we pray that you would be glorified in all that was said and done. Thank you, Father, for this church and the way in which you're using us to impact this community for Christ. Help us to make a difference this week, not for just ourselves, and that obviously, Lord, we don't want our, our fame to go forth. We want your fame to go forth. And so help us, Lord, to walk in you, to abide in you, and your words abide in us. Thank you for the opportunities you're going to give us, and may we make you known. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon.